Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? What's up? I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. Boy, so <laughs> I'm sorry for my absence on Saturday's episode. Couldn't make it. Um, I told you guys, you guys, you know, for all my regular listeners, you guys are aware of my schedule and so forth. But I am back. I told you guys, you can ass- you can assure yourself that I will give you guys an episode at least once a week. If not, I do my regular two. But at least once a week, I'm going to be tapping in, checking in. Um, and obviously, we had a big week three in the NFL, a huge week three in the NFL. Uh, and a lot of stories, a lot of things that we can really dive into and get into today. Obviously, later on in the episode, I will be presenting my top 10 teams after week three, going into week four. You know that that's an annual type of thing that we do on the pod. Um, but first and foremost, shouts out to you guys. Hope you guys are all doing well, staying healthy, mm, staying healthy, eating right, doing all the good things. Um, I'm feeling pretty good myself. I am really I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good myself. Uh, shouts out to all the, you know, the regular listeners. Shouts out to you if you're a first time listener of the podcast. Shouts out to you if you continuously, regularly check in and share this podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate it. First and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kitt, of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. So, <clears throat> like I said, big, big week in the NFL season. Big, I mean, we had a couple marquee matchups. There were some big time matchups. Um, that took place in in week three. Uh, we had some divisional games and so forth. NBA season is around the corner. College football is starting to heat up a little bit. So um, we we got we got a lot to really dabble into. Uh, a lot of NFL topics though. A lot of NFL content. And let's start with this. You know, um, you guys know like the saying, "A win is a win." You know. You guys, like, if you guys have played any type of team sport or, you know, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure if you're listening, you're into sports or you like some remnants of sports. Uh, like, you never, you, you, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard the term, a win is a win. You know, you don't get style points. You know, a win is a win. And sometimes, I, I, you know, I, I, we echo these sentiments. We echo these uh, these old sayings and cliches, and we just roll with them. And to a certain degree, they still live, no, no matter how old they are, they still live true. Like a win is a win, just like a loss is a loss. But I think if we're in, and you guys know how I get, if we're contextualizing and adding context and adding substance around whatever we're talking about, and, and in terms of this topic, as far as a win being a win, I think this past weekend there were a couple games or there were a couple teams that won games. And granted, it may only count as one win, um, or you know, it doesn't matter how the you know the the margin that they won by, but sometimes. A win is just not a win. Sometimes a win is worth more than just the actual one win. And I think there's a couple teams this past weekend that won some really vital, like they won games, they beat, they they were able to beat teams and win a game 
that I think could lead to future, more future success and confidence throughout the season and as the season goes on. Right? I think there were a couple teams that won some big games. I think first, I think both of the L.A. teams, the L.A. Chargers and the L.A. Rams, had vital victories in two different ways, two different teams. Um, and and let's and how about we start with the Chargers? The Chargers, they they played the Chiefs. The one that that was a one o'clock slot game, but that was a really good game. They played the Chiefs at Kansas City at Arrowhead, and the Chargers go into Arrowhead and they win. Mind you. The Chargers, it was a close, you know, it, they won in a close game. But I think there is something to be said. And we all, I think we're all aware of the L.A. Chargers and their late game struggles and their fourth quarter struggles that they have had in the past. The Chargers have been a team historically, especially over the last several years. And you can even date back to last year where they really really, really struggled and had a hard time closing out games and winning close games in the fourth quarter. And they were up 14-3 to versus the Kansas City Chiefs this past Sunday. Uh, Kansas City storms back and take a fourth quarter lead. And then the Chargers, you know, I know many Charger fans at that point were just, th- were just wondering and reminiscing, oh, boy, here we go again with another fourth quarter blunder. Hell, even look back at the Chargers game last week versus the Cowboys. The Chargers had a cut they had some they had some vital, some massive penalties that went against them and it ultimately led to them losing. But but the Chargers were able to close out the game. They got a crucial turnover. They were able to turn over Kansas City a, a few times. And Herbert played phenomenal. Justin Herbert was phenomenal. And it and the Chargers walked away with the victory. And I think it's more, it's even more important. Yeah, it's Kansas City. Like obviously, Kansas City has been the cream of the crop of the AFC West and of the AFC in 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 just in all over the last several years, right? But for the Chargers, the Chargers last 10 years. They've only beaten Kansas City at Kansas City two times at Arrowhead last 10 years. So they won in a in a, they won in an environment that they have struggled in over the last decade. <laughs> right. Second year quarterback who a lot of people really love. I love Justin Herbert and Justin Herbert. He, he he's come. He's just continuing to show progression. And he's showing why, and he's proving a lot of people right as to why he is a great, why we think he's going to be a great quarterback. Herbert Herbert played phenomenal. Defense was able to force turnovers. The Chargers won a really vital game, a divisional game at that. And then you look at take a look at the other LA team and the Rams. The Rams. You know, they beat the Buccaneers. They beat the Super Bowl champions. But not only that, you know, a lot of people were feeding into the fact that Matthew Stafford, you know, this is one of the biggest games of his career. I'm not sure if it, it I'm not sure if this past Sunday, I'm not sure if that Buccaneers game was the biggest game of his career because he's played in playoff games before. 
but it was certainly one of the bigger, like one of the bigger moments of his career. Super Bowl champions at home versus Tom Brady with the new with the new team with the Rams. The Rams are they look like a Super Bowl contender. Big, 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 a big regular season game. And it's a four o'clock game. So like it's a big regular season game. And I think Sunday was an example as to why the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. So in prior and, and guess what? Guess the last in a, before this before this Rams victory on Sunday versus the Buccaneers, guess who was the last NFC team to beat the Buccaneers prior to this Sunday? The LA Rams dating back to last year. The Rams last year in week 11 beat the Buccaneers. That was the last time the Buccaneers lost an NFC game. So, you know, or lost a game to an NFC team, I should say. So the whole slogan or the whole cliche of a win is just a win. A win is a win. It all counts as just one. It only counts as just one win. Yeah, that's true. But I think there were a couple teams, a couple games, as I've pointed out, that I think these games matter more. These games felt bigger just in just it felt more than just a regular week three game. These games felt real vital. And the two teams that won these games, the Rams and the Chargers, I think are destined to have pretty good regular seasons. I think the Rams are arguably the best team in football right now. And the Chargers are looking really good right now behind a really young coach, first-year head coach in Brandon Staley, and then a phenomenal quarterback talent with Justin Herbert. I think it's also safe. I think it's also I want to also mention the Packers because a lot of people think I hate on the Packers or I don't mention the Packers. I don't talk about the Packers enough, but I also thought the Packers win was really impressive. The Packers win on Sunday night versus the 49ers, I thought was a really impressive win. I thought that game. I th- so initially, and I know I didn't record on Saturday, or I know I didn't drop an episode on Saturday, right? But I'm not going to lie to you guys. I thought this game had the 49ers. I thought this was a trap game. I thought the 49ers, not necessarily a trap game, but I thought the 49ers were going to win this game because I saw the 49ers' physical offensive line and their physicality defensively with their defensive line. And I thought with that, the line play can basically determine the flow of the game. And I thought with 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 the 49ers being so physical, I thought that would give the Packers a lot of problems. But it didn't. I must say, for the first time in a while, the Packers went head-to-head with a very physical football team. Because, mind you, over the last couple of years, basically since Matt LaFleur has taken over, the, the, the knock against the Packers have been the fact that they lack physicality up front. That's been the knock on the Packers. That's been the knock. 
They lack physicality up front on both offensive line and defensive line. And especially, you know, with the 49ers, they're one of the more physical football teams. And the last time we saw a healthy 49ers squad go up against the Packers was in the NFC Championship game of 2019. And it didn't really end well, right? It didn't, it didn't end well for the Packers. But that's what makes this that's what makes that Sunday night victory so impressive to me for the Packers is because they finally were able to outman and out physical a physical football team in the in the 49ers, which is very hard to do. But Aaron Rodgers was spot on. Aaron Rodgers was spot on, dead. I mean, he I mean, for all of the drama that has transpired in the, in, you know, throughout the offseason, Aaron Rodgers looks on point. And I bashed him week one, rightfully so, because that was a poor performance. And there was no other way to like, there's no, uh, there was no other way to summarize the Packers performance week one versus the, the Saints. There was just no way to get around that. But, but, since then, especially Sunday night versus a really good 49ers team, I think, Aaron Rodgers was dead spot on accurate and was on point, was on point, on target, and looked unstoppable. Granted, the 49ers, they came away with some stops, uh, you know, in the second half, but Aaron Rodgers was dead, he was dialed in. He was dialed in. So I say all that to say a win is a win sometimes. But sometimes there are some games that certain teams have marked on their calendar. And I think a couple teams, like I said, the, the L.A. teams, they had those games circled on their calendar. And they had confidence that they were going to win those games. Sometimes a win is more than just a win. These are confidence boosters. These are definitely confidence boosters. And and I'm like the Rams, legit. Chargers, I think are legit. Keep an eye on for those two. And speaking of the Rams, let's. I'm. I'm. I want to dive in a little bit more closely to the Rams situation, um, or or not even situation, but. What's going on with the Rams right now? Because I think it's phenomenal. All right. So after the Rams, uh, after the Rams' dominant performance versus the Buccaneers, 34-24, and quite frankly, I'm not even sure if the score really does any justice to how dominant the Rams were. Um, Stafford was a bit, shaky uh the first couple possessions you know a bit antsy you know a bit antsy you know big game so forth but as he calmed down the Rams offense started to find its flow and its rhythm um and they started clicking so like I said like I said I'm not even sure if the score really does any justice to how dominant the Rams were on Sunday versus the Tampa Buccaneers but I say all this to say this (laughs) It's only three weeks. 
I don't want to overreact, right? And I don't think this is necessarily overreacting. I think this is just proper analyzation of what I am seeing from this team. Um, so what I'm seeing, what I've saw from this team from last year defensively and with coaching over the past several years. And then I'm just adding in the fact of Matthew Stafford. And I think we have a Rams team that looks like or that has been the best team in football since the year has started. I think that's fair to say. I don't think that's I don't think that's overreaction. I'm not saying they're going to win the NFC East. Oh, or I'm excuse me. I'm not saying they're going to win the NFC. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're better than the Buccaneers. I'm just saying that they have looked like in the first three weeks of the of the season, they have looked like the best team in football. That's just no, that's no overreaction. That's just a proper analyzation of what we have been witnessing from this Rams football team, and it's a team with little to no weakness at this point. Uh, I told you guys before the season started, I was a bit hesitant. I was I was a, a bit worried about the running back situation, but then I told you guys, I think Sean McVay offensively will be creative enough and innovative enough to find ways to get the running game involved um, and to try to find a way to replace Cam Akers. You know, Sony Michelle, is he Cam Akers? No, but but can Sean McVay scheme up different ways and different, um, just different patterns to get him, get him the like that same production um, or to have a balance of a running attack of so of so forth. Yeah, yeah, I think Sean McVay can do that, and he has done that since the since the start of the season. So. I, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not surprised. I'm not gonna say I'm. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not. People were like, "Oh, you know, I told you guys before the season. I said Matthew Stafford. Granted, I think he has the most pressure out of any player uh, coming back, or I should say, going into the season or coming into the season. I told you guys off rip. I don't. I can't really. I can't think of a player that has more pressure on him." Maybe Dak Prescott because of the contract and then the injury that he was coming back off last year. But there's just not many guys or not many names that you could really think of that has more pressure on them to be successful than Matthew Stafford this year. And little enough, Matthew Stafford has answered the call. He's answered the call and he looks like a formidable, a legitimate MVP candidate. He looks like an MVP candidate. I mean, we have Cooper Cup putting up Randy Moss type numbers. I love Cooper Cup a lot. I love Cooper Cup a lot. I think to a certain degree, he's not talked about enough as far as um, like just really good receivers. I don't think he's talked about enough, but he ain't Randy Moss. So the Sean McVay and the Matthew Stafford uh, dynamic, it's working. It's working to a T. And then you look at what the you look at defensively what the Rams can do. Obviously, we all know about the greatness of Aaron Donald and you know him being this all-time great interior rusher, um, interior force. And then we know about Jalen Ramsey, who I think is the best DB in football. And the dude is literally everywhere and does everything. Like 
Now, he just doesn't cover guys. No, he comes down and tackle. He can stop the run. He can rush the quarterback if you need him to, if you want him to. He does so much. But this Rams defense, granted, even with them losing a couple pieces in the secondary, like a John Johnson or a Troy Hill, they have still been a they have been a they've been really good as a unit. So I can't really spot a weakness for this football team. And you know, my one big takeaway from, from the first three weeks, my one big takeaway that I have seen from the Rams offensively is that they don't nest they don't they don't need the play action to set up their passing game anymore. They can just drop back and throw the football. That was something that the Rams and Sean McVay was a bit hesitant to do with Jared Goff. A lot of the passing concepts, a lot of the passing um, plays that you saw that were being dialed up with Jared Goff or Jared Goff under center, a lot of it had to do with play action and a lot of motion. You still have you still you you still see the Rams running their play action. You still see a high level, high involvement, and in, as far as their motion, but they're just dropping back and throwing the football now. They're just drop. They're the the Rams are just dropping back and throwing the football now. Something that they couldn't. Something that they were reluctant and hesitant to do with Jared Goff on the center, and that is the and that's the whole point of trading for Matthew Stafford. He adds the element of just you being able to drop back and throw the football and having that element of beating you over the top. And we saw it this past Sunday versus the Buccaneers. Granted, the Buccaneers secondary, it's a bit banged up. It's a bit beat up. There were some lapses, but that's on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay defensively over the first three weeks haven't looked the greatest. Defensively, they haven't looked the greatest. And it's I don't I don't think it's necessarily a Todd Bowles issue. I think it's more of injuries. Um and just the guys, they're just not playing well. Defensively, the Buccaneers, their players are just not playing well defensively. So I like I, I'm back on the Rams. You're seeing elements offensively to the Rams being opened and bring and being explored. That wasn't being explored last year or over the past couple years because of the the inabilities and the limitations of Jared Goff. Now you're seeing a fully opened up Rams offense that's not only able to beat you with their running attack and being able to run the football, but also being able to spread you out, drop back and throw the football and occasionally beat you over the top if you if you give them that option. This looks like the best team in football. And over the first 3 weeks, they have been the best team in football. They have. I kind of gave away my number 1 team for the top 10 list. Um but they have been the best team in football. They just they they simply have been the best team in football. Um, let me shift to, I want to, after this quick break, I want to shift to Dallas Cowboys. I want to talk about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, um, after their big time Monday night division win versus the Eagles. I want to touch bases on that. Um, I got, I think I got a, I got a point to make. All right. So we're almost about 23 and a half minutes into the podcast, into the episode. Um, I want to talk about the Cowboys as I've mentioned already, right? So the Dallas Cowboys, uh, they won. They beat the Eagles, their division rivals, 41-21, 
Monday night football game, standalone game. Dak Prescott looked really good, threw for about 238 yards with three touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott looked really good, too. He had he had 116 total yards with two touchdowns as well. Um, and the Cowboys defense, they were able to force two turnovers. I think they got two picks. So, like, dominant performance from the Cowboys. Dominant performance from the Cowboys. And I must say this, Dak Prescott, like throughout his career, he's dominated the NFCs. Like he like he's he's dominated the, AF, the NFC East. He's had his he's had his way with the NFC East. And so him winning this football game doesn't really surprise me, right? It it it, it doesn't surprise me. Cause I think I think we can all agree that Dak Prescott is a top ten quarterback. Um is he a top five guy? No, no, he's not. But is he in that? Could you make an argument over the last what you have been seeing from Dak Prescott over the last two years that he is like six, seven, eight range? Yes, um, I think you can make that argument with Dak Prescott. Um, and I, I think we've all come up. We like. He just makes the right play. He makes obviously we know about his intangibles and the leadership that he brings and the leadership qualities that he have and that he displays. We obviously know about that. But there's also an element where he just makes the right plays and he's the dry like he is clearly, clearly the driving force of the Dallas Cowboys now. Clearly. And just to show you his dominance over the NFC East, let me give you, let me give you guys some numbers. Dak is Dak Prescott is 20 and 6 uh against NFC East opponents, right? He's 20 and 6, so that's about that's almost a 77% winning percentage, right? Uh over the last 12 games, he has 28 touchdowns and he's 11 and 1 over the last 12 games versus the NFCs. He's very dominant over the NFCs. So the Cowboys and, and and they're 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 such a hard read for me. The Cowboys are a hard read because offensively they're potent. In 2021, this Cowboys offense is potent. It's still a relatively decent offensive line. It's not what the offensive line is not what it used to be um three, four years ago, five years ago. It, it is not that same offensive line. Some same some of the you know some same some of those same players on that offensive line, but obviously age and nutrition has caught up. So the line is decent. It's still a really decent offensive line. No, no longer the best offensive line in football. Still decent. You got weapons on the outside with Amari Cooper, one of the best route runners in football. Uh, C.D. Lamb. Uh, you have Michael Gallup, but he's hurt right now. But you also there's so much receiver talent, like even a guy like Cedric Wilson, electrifying, electrifying down the field. Um, you have Tony Pollard out of backfield. Obviously, you have Ezekiel Elliott. So that's a really good one-two punch. And then Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz has turned into like a really good vertical threat for the Cowboys. So the, the Cowboys have weapons everywhere. But please, please do not fool yourself. Dak Prescott is the driving force of the Cowboys. And my biggest thing is, and now with their defense, their defense is better than what it was last year, as I predicted it would be. 
Their defense is better and faster than what it was last year. There's, it seems like there's a like a mindset. There's a different mindset defensively with the Cowboys. And now the Cowboys are able to turn over teams. Like they're able to get takeaways. They're able to get takeaways. Like there were a point in time where the Cowboys for a long time, up until this year, have struggled big time with turning over the football defensively. Uh, it's been a long time since we have seen a Cowboys defense that is this optimistic as far as turning over the football and getting takeaways. This team does a really good job at it. They're leading the league with eight takeaways already, and Trayvon Diggs looks like a legit corner. He has three picks in three games. But with all of that being said, and as much as I've raved about what the Cowboys could be, what they are, I'm still a little, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant. Like, for, for instance, Mike McCarthy. Dak Prescott, there, there, there's, a, there's a legitimate argument, and I don't know if, the, I don't know if this conversation or this topic is going to get talked about enough because the Cowboys, the way how they're looking, they very well may win a division and they very well may be a playoff team because they look, they look to part. But Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott single-handedly are probably saving Mike McCarthy's job. And I hate to be the bummer, I hate to be the bear of bad news, but Mike McCarthy, I don't know what it is with the time management at the end of halves. I, I, like, I don't know what it is. It seems like Dak Prescott himself has a better, has a better, like, management of time in terms of timeouts and when to, when to call these, because it, it, it seems like Mike McCarthy, he just he just struggles with the time management. I don't know how I don't know how big the screen has to be. I, I, I just don't know. I just don't see it. But there there's been too many time management, missed time management. Like we've seen it every week. We've we've seen it week one, we've seen it week two, and there was also some mismanagement of time in week three. So I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is. X and O's wise, I, I still have my questions. I think the biggest, surprisingly, the biggest question for the Cowboys is probably their coaching. It's probably their coaching with Mike McCarthy. I'm not sure if Mike McCarthy is the guy that is going to enhance Dak Prescott because initially that was the thought process. The thought process of hiring Mike McCarthy is we thought Mike, well, a lot of people thought initially that Mike McCarthy was going to be the guy that enhanced Dak Prescott. We thought he was going to be the offensive mind with him coaching Brett Favre, with him coaching Aaron Rodgers, with him being a part of um, Joe Montana. Like We thought that was going to be the enhancer or he was going to be the missing part or piece that was going to enhance Dak Prescott. Instead, he Dak Prescott is enhancing Mike McCarthy. So I'm not sure. I'm, it's it's very difficult. I have a difficult read on the Cowboys. And granted, like I said, they beat Philadelphia. I thought the Chargers win was impressive, even though the Chargers 
they had a couple blunders down the stretch, but I I still thought that win. I felt I felt that win was still impressive. They beat the Eagles. They did what they were supposed to do, but boy, it, it just seems like and, and there's this misconception that Dak Prescott, like 2016, let's let's see, let's see if this is understood. The 2016 draft class. If we're looking at Carson Wentz, if we're looking at Jared Goff, we're looking at Dak Prescott. All three of these quarterbacks, <clears throat> their at least their first couple years, came into they were brought into situations. Granted, Goff and 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 and, and um and Wentz were drafted higher than Dak. All three, and it took a year. It took a year after their after Goff's and Wentz rookie year. They basically were thrust into a system that seems like enhanced their abilities. But since Dak's rookie year, after Dak's rookie year, Dak Prescott has been asked to enhance those around him. And he's been the driving force of the Cowboys ever since. As with the other two quarterbacks that I've mentioned, like I said, after their rookie years, they have been, they've, they were basically thrust into systems, especially Jared Goff. They were thrust into systems that allowed them to have success, that covered up their inabilities, and they weren't the they weren't necessarily the driving force behind their systems. Since Dak Prescott's rookie year, where his rookie year, I can admit, great offensive line, Zeke behind, like he was coddled. But since then, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, up until now, Dak Prescott has been the driving force of the Dallas Cowboys offense, and that is clear as day. My only thing is, can Dak Prescott overcome the head coaching of Mike McCarthy? Because that is a big issue. That is a big issue. Can Dak Prescott overcome the coaching inabilities of Mike McCarthy? That's where I that's where it's a bit it's a bit head scratching for me. That's why I hesitate and that's why I have my calls to pause because I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I think Dak Prescott is really good. I think he's been phenomenal and he's answered all of these questions in terms of his ankle and so forth. But Mike McCarthy, oh boy, he's been if I had he's been very, very disappointing. Despite the Cowboys looking really good. Despite their defense looking really good, despite it, look, it looks like the Cowboys are turning the corner, but Mike McCarthy has been very disappointing. Um, and I'm I just don't want Dax like Dak being really good. I don't want these years to be wasted. If you're the Cowboys, you don't want these years to be wasted of Dak being really good because Mike McCarthy was an average to below average coach. You don't want that. You don't you you don't want that. You just do not want that. And right now, Mike McCarthy has been disappointing as a coach. He's been disappointing. So from one quarterback to the other, let's go to let's let's take a look at Jalen Hurts. Um, and I'm gonna tell you guys why I think I'm I'm a I'm a remain persistent on my take with Jalen Hurts, um, and him not being the answer or the long term answer for the Eagles. Okay, so let's let's transition to Jalen Hurts um and my thoughts. If you're a regular listener, you kind of already got a grasp of what I think of Jalen Hurts and uh, uh, 
quite frankly, a lot of these young quarterbacks. And <laughs> early on in the season, just three weeks in, uh, a, a lot of the young guys are struggling um, for different reasons, obviously. But a, just a lot of the – you look at a lot of the young quarterbacks around the league, they're struggling. And that's more credit, more props to Justin Herbert in his second year. He's been he's – look, he's looked really good. But a lot of the young quarterbacks have struggled. But my thought – here's my thoughts on Jalen Hurts. You got – coming into the season as a whole, I thought Philadelphia thought they were going to be bad. I thought they were going to be a dumpster fire. After week one, they beat Atlanta. Jalen Hurts played really well, and people overreacted. I do think Philadelphia, I, th- I must admit, they are a little bit better than what they what I thought they were. They're still going to be a bad football team because they're, they're, they're about to hit a rough stretch, a rough part of their schedule. But coming into the season, my initial thoughts on Jalen Hurts was mm, great athlete, really good athlete. But as a thrower of the football, and I mean, like his accuracy down the field, a bit questionable and worrisome. It was probably my biggest knock on him. I still hold those same opinions. Um, he's a marginally he's a marginally accurate quarterback. Um, so that's, that, that, that's just not, that's just not good enough. That's just not going to cut it. And to be, to be frank, he, he misses a lot of easy throws. And since 2020 quarterbacks with at least five starts, Jalen hurts have the second worst completion, completion percentage after drew lock and drew lock isn't even starting anymore. Uh, his completion percentage since 2020 is a whopping 57.6%. That's just not good enough, right? Like, that's just not good enough. Um, So how do I chop this up? I don't – I've told you guys this before. I don't think Jalen Hurts is the necessary long-term answer. I don't think he's a guy who you can build your franchise around – and, and and buy in and buy and go all out and go all in on him. I don't think he's that guy. I just don't. Can you win games with Jalen Hurts? Sure. Can you know? Can he make plays outside of the pocket? Can he make some plays? Yeah, he can definitely make some plays with his arm at times and with his legs and you know with him being with him having the ability. The escapability to do so, yeah, he can definitely do that. But in terms of going all in and building the franchise around him and him being your long-term guy at the quarterback position, I don't think so. I don't see it. He struggles to go through his progressions a lot. He bails very fast. He bails very quickly on plays. And it, 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 it's some of the same things that we saw at the college level. Granted, he had a great college career. You look at his numbers and his record. He had a great college career, but played at Alabama. Alabama, it was his. He was the quarterback, right? Before Tua took over, Hurts was the guy, 
and it was very run heavy. But even at Alabama, he struggled to complete the deep ball. He had a he, he at, at Alabama. He had a hard time at stretching and completing the deep ball in tight windows. That remains true at the NFL level. Uh, at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley is like the he's like the new college quarterback whisperer. Uh, he had a pretty he had a successful year under Lincoln Riley, but. At the second half of the season of that season, uh, that one season that he played at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley basically told him, okay, if the first read ain't there, check it down, tuck it, and run it. Use your escapability, use your athleticism, and do something with it. Still, progressions, not being able to go through the progressions um, or the correct progressions, Still a problem. Still a problem. And the pocket awareness, he still lacks good pocket awareness. So, I, I, you know, Jay, I think I like his story. Um, I like what he's made of. I like the character that he brings. But it's him But him being a long-term solution at the quarterback position, uh, I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure on... I'm just not sure Philadelphia would be making the right move if they were to buy in long-term to Jalen Hurts. And he, and, and like I said, athletic, yes. Um, there's some arm talent there, but with the completion, like with the accuracy thing, that's, that gotta be like that gotta be foundational. That has to be something that you get. Yeah, you you got you have to be accurate. And too many times, um, even it, 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 you know, it could be um last, you know, Monday night versus the Cowboys. It could be dating back to last year when we saw Jalen Hurts. Um, it could be dating back to his college days. Too many times Jalen Hurts misses like the layup throws. Throws that should be layups, throws that should just be easy, like six-yard out routes, six-yard digs. Like, you just got to be able to hit these throws constantly. Like, those have to be layup throws. They're layup throws. He misses those too frequently. So, uh, you know, it may sound a bit harsh. I may sound hard, but it's, it's the truth. I always thought he was a better runner than thrower of the football. Um, and like I said, he can make plays. He has the ability to make plays, yes. But having the ability to make plays um, and winning a couple games, I don't think equals you know, a team wanting or should or, or should be wanting to buy in long term to the Jalen Hurts experiment. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't. I think he has a ceiling. Athletic, like athletically, it's there. He can make plays. But as I mentioned, marginally accurate quarterback. Progressions. He struggles to get to his third progressions on a lot of his dropbacks. He bails on, and, and these kind of correlate, but he bails on plays too too fast 
Like if the first read ain't there, he bails and he gets out of the pocket to use his athleticism, which is okay. But then the pocket awareness, the pocket awareness, he still struggles at. Not saying you can't get better at these things. Not saying Jalen Hurts can't get better at these things. Not saying that. But as of right now, I don't think he is a long-term solution for the Eagles at the quarterback position. I just don't. I just don't. And speaking of a long-term solution or having a plan at the quarterback position, we can also look at the, the other Pennsylvania team, which plays in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I hate to break it to Steelers fans. And I, I was kind, I, not, not kind of, I was, I was, you know, Nick, I was going toward this point last year about Big Ben. Ben Roethlisberger is now the worst quarterback in the AFC North. Hate to break it to you, but he is now the worst quarterback in the AFC North. The Steelers, the Steelers have a big problem with Big Ben. And for too long, they have not had a succession plan. And I talked about this during the offseason, about different options that the Steelers could explore. I've talked about this. But, you know, people talk about the financials. People talk about what Big Ben has done. They talk about what he has done, what he has did. He's a has-been. But Big Ben, what have you done for me lately? Last year, we were like, last year, there were so many clues that Big Ben was going to look like. Big Ben looked like a, Big Ben moves like a tree. Like, he, like, literally, he moves like a tree. The mobility just ain't there. And I talked about his offseason habits last year. I talked about Big Ben's la- I talked about Big Ben's offseason habits last year. The like occasionally doing yoga and drinking beers. That's his offseason regimen. That that is that is Big Ben's offseason regimen. And he's aged poorly. I talked about this last year. Big Ben has aged poorly. Last year, he struggled. Bad. It was bad enough that the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line wasn't great. So there was no run game to lean the hat on. But now, but well, and then last year, Big Ben struggled to throw the ball down the field. Like, everything was short and intermediate. He struggled to throw the ball down the field. Now, he can't move. He just he just looks big and out of shape. He's injured. He don't want to get hit. And I'm I, and I like Big Ben. Big Ben one day is going to be a future Hall of Famer. But Big Roethlisberger right now looks like a shell of himself. And the Steelers they're in they're in a lot of trouble. And this is this seems like an organizational failure on the Steelers' behalf because they now have no they're stuck. They have no succession plan or succession plan for Big Ben. They have no backup plan. We, everybody pounce on the Packers 
And everybody is critical of the Packers, including myself, for drafting Jordan Love and not getting Jordan, not getting Aaron Rodgers um, or not buffering Aaron Rodgers supporting cast. We pounce on the Packers for making that decision. But on the flip side, at least the Packers can say, you know, Aaron's kind of fed up with us. Aaron's kind of pissed off with us. This may be Aaron's last year, but at least we got Jordan Love. I'm not saying Jordan Love's going to work out. I'm not saying Jordan Love is going to be the next coming, the, the, the second coming of Patrick Mahomes. No, I'm not saying that. But at least the Packers have a plan. The Steelers don't even have a plan. And please, Dwayne Haskins, please, don't, don't try to sell me on Dwayne Haskins. I like Dwayne Haskins. I hope he does get his career back on track. But he is not the secession plan. He is simply, he is simply a finger cross. The Steelers are crossing their fingers that he works out. They're crossing their fingers and their toes that he works out. But he's not a secession plan. So we criticize the Packers, rightfully so. But at least the Packers have, a, at least they have a secession plan. The Steelers right now are stuck in mud. With Big Ben, who right now, who moves like a tree. And they have no plan. They have no succession plan after Big Ben. Good luck for the Steelers. I'm going to move on. I'm going to give you guys my top 10 teams. I think it's about time. I'm going to give you guys my top 10 teams going into week, uh, or after week three, going into week four. All right, so you know what time it is. Top 10 teams. I'm a, I'm just t- it's time to give you guys my top 10 teams after week three, going into week four. Uh, boy, I, 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 have, I do have a lot of fun doing this, putting together this top 10 list. I actually, and I, I think critically about this. Um, and I must say, you guys, you, you guys become, you know, it's well anticipated for this top 10 list. So a lot of, I took some teams out. That's just, that's just how it is. I took some teams out. Like I said, these first couple weeks, the first month, is always difficult to try to nail down the top 10 because there are certain teams that got easier schedules and so forth. But I feel very confident about this top 10 list that I have come up with. So let's start at number 10. At number 10, I have the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cow- I, have the, I have the Dallas Cowboys at number 10. They have not made my top 10 list in a very, very long time. But Dak, like I said, Dak continues to dominate the NFC East. Um, since the season has started, Dak has answered all of the questions that have been posed about his ankle, about his shoulder, and so forth. Offensively, the Cowboys look good. Coming into the year, we had a lot of questions about their defense. I think their defense has had a total mindset change, a total mindset change. They are optimistic about the, you know, they're so they're so fast to the football. The Cowboys are so fast to the football. Um, they lead the league in takeaways. They have eight takeaways. Trayvon Diggs is slowly, when I shouldn't say slowly, he's turning into a star um, at the defensive back position. He he he. Second half of the year, I, I should say this: his rookie, his first half of his rookie year started off slow. Second half of his rookie year started off really good. You know, he ended his rookie year pretty good. This year. He's he's had a great start. Three interceptions in three games. 
So the Cowboys, their defense is uptick. Michael Parsons looks really good. Um, despite miss, despite them missing Demarcus Lawrence, they haven't missed a beat. Cowboys at ten. Um, at nine, I'm about to go with the Raiders. At nine, I'm about to go with the Raiders. They're three and zero. They're winning some really tough games, but the last two games they have trailed, or I should say, yeah, the last couple games they have trailed and have to have comeback victories, and they've won. I don't know if they're if it's, it's I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if it's sustainable. Defensively, still not sure about the Raiders, but they're th- they're three and zero. They're three and zero. They're they have been they they've looked really good. And Derek Carr is on fire. Derek Carr is com- he's on fire. I told people that Derek Carr was far from the problem, and uh, you know, with the Vegas Raiders, he is far from the problem. And I think he's showing that. You know, he's he's more of the solution for the Raiders. He's been, you know, he's been winning these ball games for them. So I got the Raiders at nine. At eight, I got the Denver Broncos. It it's a hard tell for me with this with this team. I, the Broncos, they're three and zero. They're talented on defense. They do have a couple of key injuries, like uh, you know, uh, Chubb on their defensive line, Bradley Chubb on their defensive line. Jer- Jerry Judy is out due to injury. KJ Hamler is out for this for the season. So they got a couple of key injuries. They're talented on defense. Teddy Bridgewater, he's not he's not overly athletic. He's not he don't have strong arm. He has his limitations. He's a game manager. But their opponents are combined 0 and 9. So for the Broncos, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what how good they are. I'm not, I'm not sure how good are they. We will see though, because their schedule, their upcoming schedule, is brutal. It, it, it's kind of brutal. Their upcoming schedule is is very brutal. So we'll see. Like let me get let me let me actually put up their schedule. So their next game, they play the Ravens, they play the Steelers, they play the Raiders, they play the Browns, they play the Washington football team, and they play the Cowboys. So, like, we'll see how legit this team is, but I got them at number eight for now because they're 3-0. Um, at seven, I got the Cardinals. Once again, last week, I went on a rant about the Cardinals. Um, I'm, I'm still not quite sold. They beat the Jaguars. Kind of similar to the kind of similar to Denver, where the teams that they have beaten, not the greatest. I'm not really high on those teams. They are three and no. One thing I can say about the Arizona Cardinals, they're dynamic on offense, and it starts with Kyler Murray. He's dynamic with his arm and with his legs. And then defensively, they have they got pass rushers. Like they can get to the quarterback. They can get to the quarterback defensively with Chandler Jones and JJ Watt. Those are the two things that I like. So I got the Cardinals at seven for now. Don't know how long it's going to last, but I, I, I like the Cardinals. At six, I got the Cleveland Browns. Um, The Browns, I'm really high on this team. They, I think they're going to get better as the season continues. Now, I do, like I said, like I said last week, I do think there is a formula that the Browns have to stick to. And it's it, st- it starts up front with their offensive line controlling the line of scrimmage, being able to run the football and using their play action passing to offset that, right? Or to play off of that per se. That, that that's 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 their formula. 
But can they win? Can the Browns win a game when they have to put the ball in Baker's hand and he has to make plays down the stretch? Can they win that way versus the better teams in football? Can they win that way? Not sure. But Baker Mayfield, seventy. He has a he has a league best seventy two completion percentage. A lot of that has to do with being able to run the football, easier reads, play action, and so forth. So I got the Browns at six. Um, at five, I got Kansas City. I, I know, I know, people gonna get mad. People are like, oh, why you got Kansas City? They won it too. They lost two straight games. I get it, but let's not overreact. Defensively. Defensively, I must admit, they cannot get situational stops. This Chiefs football team, they struggle at getting situational stops. And that's one thing I can say about previous Kansas City teams, where defensively they may not have been always the greatest, but they were able to get stops when they need to. This team can't. So far in the first three weeks, they can't get stops. That like Raven, like versus Baltimore, they needed to get crucial stops. They couldn't get them. Uh, versus the Chargers, where they had multiple chances to win the football game, they could not get crucial stops. Also, the turnovers. The turnovers are killing Kansas City. Last year, they only had 16 turnovers. This year, first three weeks, they have six already. So the turnovers are kind of digging them in. And the Mahomes interception caused them the Chargers game which would have been a potential game-winning drive or could have been a potential game-winning drive. And then Edwards Elaire, he fumbled the ball as, you know, which cost them the game last week versus Baltimore. So Kansas City, it's, it, 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 it's, it's tough for me to put them at five. I'm going to put them at five just based off of the fact, just off of the merit, I'm going to put them at five. But boy. I'm not going to overreact. Don't overreact with Kansas City. At number four, I'm going to have to put the Packers. I know. I'm going to have to put the Packers, though. Now, I must admit, let me, let, me get, let me get the cons out of the way. The Packers are too reliant on Devontae Adams. Like, they're, they're, like they're, they're Devontae Adams-centric. They rely on him too much. But this is still a really good football team. Granted, their offensive line and their offensive line, surprisingly, they held their own versus that San Francisco front four. They did a really good job with that San Francisco front four. So it's a young offensive line. Um, but the fact that they were able to match the 49ers physicality, it's really good. It, I was impressed. I was impressed by the Packers. I'm like, oh, my God, look at this. The Packers look really good. And then Aaron Rodgers, you know. For, like I said, for all of the drama this offseason, he looks he looks happy. He sounds happy. He sounds happy. I guess winning cures everything, right? Um, plus, Aaron, just a magical last-minute drive, or I should say last 36 seconds drive with no timeouts. He made some great throws um, that only, only a couple of quarterbacks can make. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, you know, just so great. Uh, Packers at four. At three, I got to put the Buccaneers. You know, first couple weeks, defensively, they're just not the same. And can they eventually bounce back? Yeah, sure. But defensively, they have struggled. Um, and a lot of it starts with their secondary. Their secondary, it's banged up. Um, they're playing some backups. They're going to they're gonna probably need to call up guys like Richard Sherman 
uh, you know, some veterans. They need to sign some veterans to add some more depth to their secondary because they are struggling big time. And then up front, they're just not generating the same pass rush. Um, and, and maybe that speaks to the Rams offensive line, but they're just not generating the same type of pass rush that they usually did or that they did last year. Um, so I'm not going to overreact to the loss versus the Rams. I think the Rams are really good. The Buccaneers will still be really good as well. I got them at three this week, though. At number two, I got the Buffalo Bills. Unvaccinated and all, I got them at number two. I, you know, like I said, the the their little vax their little vaccine thing, the little COVID thing that they got going on with the but I'm a, it worries me. It does, but they're able to rush the quarterback. My biggest knock or their biggest weakness last year was not having a pass rush. So far in the first three weeks, the, the Bills are top three, or they, they, well, I should say they're top 10 in sacks. So that means they're generating a pass rush, which is really good. Offensively, we already know they're hot, they're a high octane offense. Um, they can score with the boat with the best of them. They have weapons on the outside. Josh Allen is obviously dynamic. Um, so offensively, not much to worry about, but defensively, they have a pass rush finally. Now, like I said, this is just my own remark. The vaccine thing scares me. With you know, I call the Bills the unvaccinated crew. I, I don't know what it is. Some of their guys are not going to get vaccinated. I don't know. I don't know. That is scary. That that worries me because I have high hopes for the Bills, but their little vaccine thing, COVID thing, it could get in the way. But for now, I got them at number two, and then at number one, I got the Rams. I got the Rams. I, I, you can say, oh, I, whatever. I got the Rams. <laughs> I got the Rams at number one. So far in the first three weeks, they have been the best team in football. I see no weakness. I see no weakness at this point with this football team. Um, also, get this. You want to hear this stat? When the Rams, the Rams are 40 and 0 when leading at halftime. In the Sean McVay era. So when the Rams have a halftime lead, they're unbeatable. They're unbeatable. 40 and 0, a whopping 40 and 0 when leading at halftime under Sean McVay. Sean McVay, I, I tell you guys all the time, and some people like Sean McVay is a great offensive play caller. I think a lot of uh, I think his scheme and what he does schematically, I think a, a lot of that feeds into that stat. Forty and zero when having a halftime lead, they are forty and zero in games when they have a halftime lead. Forty and zero, let that sink in. Also, as I mentioned earlier, the Rams finally do not need the play action; they can just drop back and actually throw the football. And then we know how great their defense is. We know we know who they have on defense. We know how great they are defensively and how how quick they are to the ball. But the Rams so far has been they have been the best team in football to start the season. That is my top ten list. And like I said, I feel pretty comfortable. Cowboys at ten, Raiders at nine, Broncos at eight. Cardinals at seven, Browns at six, Chiefs at five, Packers at four, 
Buccaneers at three, the Bills at two, and then the Rams at one. That is my top 10 list. I catch you guys later. I catch you guys later. Uh, hopefully, I will be back on Saturday. You guys will hear my voice on Saturday's episode. If not, uh, like I said, I always will promise you one episode per week, especially with the NFL season. Enjoy. I hope you guys enjoy. Stay safe. Uh, I will be back. Deuce. Pieces. I'm out.